The irony of pain and suffering oftentimes is it really can be one of the shortest routes uh, to God. I mean, pain and suffering has kind of a way of putting us in touch with God quickly more than any other thing uh, that I can think of. And so oftentimes when the bottom of life kind of just drops out, especially unexpectedly, when it just kind of drops out in, in one moment, it just kind of goes from great to kind of bottoming out. It can just take one phone call, one visit to the doctor's office, uh, one pink slip. I mean, one late night knock on your door, and suddenly life can just really be turned upside down and inside out. And there oftentimes just comes a time, a moment in that crisis where we kind of just begin to look up towards God's direction. And through that pain, through that suffering, through that crisis, uh, we want to make contact with God. We want to know that he is there. We want to know that God is aware of what we're going through. We want to know that God is not maybe off in the other room reading a magazine or something. We want to know that he is not oblivious to what is happening in our lives. And no matter what is happening to us, we believe at the time in the midst of our pain and our suffering, again, there just often comes this time, this moment, when we kind of just look God's direction and we begin to ask some very, very familiar questions. Essentially, we want to know why. Why, God? Why me? Why now? Why would you allow or cause this to happen? And the reason we ask those questions is because it's in me and it is in you to make sense out of the pain and suffering going on in our lives. While knowing or maybe understanding the why won't make the pain go away, it won't lessen its impact there is a sense in which we feel like if we could just understand the why, then maybe we could endure the pain or the suffering or the ordeal better or, or at least more sanely. If somehow we could make sense of what is going on in our lives, what we're going through in terms of the pain and the suffering, then maybe it would be more bearable. So we want God to kind of help us connect the dots, help us to make sense out of everything that's going on in my world. Help me to find the redemptive value in my pain and to assure us, no matter what you're going through, God, you're going you're gonna to work this out. You're going to take me to a better place. You're going to work this out for good. So in our pain, in our suffering, oftentimes we just cry out for context. If this is going to make sense, if this is going to lead somewhere good, I won't feel better, but at least I can endure it and hopefully get through it. And then the problem comes, and oftentimes this is where the deception comes in. If nothing is immediately apparent to us, if God doesn't answer every question immediately, if God doesn't fill in all of the gaps, and somehow maybe God is silent in the midst of our pain and suffering, the deception comes in is that we want to take our eyes off of him and put them back onto the world and the things that are happening around us. And when we do that, we will start questioning. 
God, are you punishing me? What did I do to deserve this? Are you trying to teach me something? What did I do to deserve this? Is this somehow my fault? Could I have avoided this if I had been a better parent or a better spouse? Did this happen because of what I did last year? And we start looking for connections and for answers around us. We want a cause and effect relationship when it comes to pain and suffering so we can understand it, reverse it, or avoid it. I need an explanation. There's got to be a purpose. There's got to be context, and that's completely natural. All of us desire that to some extent. I think this is part of maybe what Jesus experienced. Not in totality, but in part, I think as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, dying for the world, prior to that, Jesus predicted his own death, he predicted his own resurrection, and yet, I just wonder if in the middle of it all, as he's hanging upon the cross, he cries out in agony in Matthew 27, 46, and he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me. So in the middle of this horrific ordeal, Jesus is saying, I just need a reminder. I need to know and I need to be encouraged. There is a greater good. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater plan at work here because right now all I'm feeling is pain, agony, suffering, and abandonment. So maybe even in his pain and suffering, Jesus is calling out to his heavenly father saying, I need context. We see this perhaps in the story of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Many of you may remember the story. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus telling him that that his very dear friend whom Jesus loved is sick. And Jesus makes the decision instead of going immediately, he kind of delays and and he's kind of waiting. And during that time, Lazarus dies. And finally Jesus shows up and Mary and Martha go to him and they basically say, why didn't you come sooner? I mean, I think if you'd have gotten here a little bit earlier, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. In other words, I know once you tell us why you didn't come sooner, Even though Lazarus will still be dead and it won't make the pain go away, perhaps it will put his death in some kind of a context we can understand. If you'll just answer some of our why questions, then it will help us to make better sense of his death. And then I think maybe we might even be able to get through it better. Just help me understand the context. Again, I think that same drive to varying degrees is in you and it is in me. And again, the problem, the deception, the lie oftentimes comes in when you suddenly find yourself looking in God's direction because of this unexplained, unexpected, unwanted pain and suffering. If you just look to him, And then what happens is oftentimes if God is not immediate with some kind of a response, again, we just drop our gaze from him and back onto our little world. And the problem and the deception comes in is that the answer is not going to be found there when we drop our eyes back into our own little world and kind of get back onto our own little problems. The answer's 
won't be found there. We try to connect the dots. We want to put the pieces back together because we want to try to understand it. Even though it won't lessen the pain, it may just make it more bearable. Everybody I have ever talked to that has gone through a tremendous loss, there's always a moment and a time where they will say something or invite me into the process to say, help me connect the dots. Tell me what caused this. Why did God allow this? There's a lot I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. The answers to the mysteries of life are rarely found in this life. The answers to pain and suffering are rarely found in this life. And therein, for a lot of us, lies the potential for deception. If I could look around and just make sense out of what happened, I would be fine. But again, I contend hope is not found by looking around. This morning, I'm going to connect three huge dots for you this morning. Not because I'm smarter than any of you, but because fortunately, when God inspired some people to write his word, he connected them for us. And in connecting these three big dots, I want to give you the context for pain and suffering. But before I do, let me just give you this disclaimer. Two of them. First disclaimer is, the answer I'm going to give you this morning will not be emotionally satisfying. It won't. I wished it were, but I'm going to be honest, it's not. And again, that's important to understand. In other words, you're not going to walk away from this sermon feeling better about the fact that you haven't had a job maybe for the last six months or that you've lost a loved one. It's not going to do much to diminish the pain in your life, but it may get you through it. First disclaimer. Second disclaimer is this message really is for Christians. This is an explanation primarily for people who are believers. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Our prayer for you is that maybe this morning through this process, this journey together, maybe you'll come to that aha moment where you will realize all that Jesus has done for you uh, through the cross, through the shedding of his blood, through the resurrection, and that you will come to that threshold where you'll just kind of cross over um, into faith and know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But I just want to let you know up front here this morning, this message or this explanation really is going to primarily be satisfying for believers. So let me just start by giving you the three big dots, and then I'm going to go back and kind of uh, fill in um, the gaps. By the way, let me just say I'm glad most of you are back this morning. Um, last Sunday's sermon was pretty rough, I guess. I usually have a pretty good read on the congregation, and I didn't pick up that there was going to be uh, a lot of uh, kind of, and again, it wasn't negative. There was just a lot of resistance and pushback uh, last Sunday. You anti-government types, you know who you are. 
So I'm just glad you came back this morning. We had a, a, a time on Wednesday night where we kind of processed that. And again, I was just totally oblivious. Usually I'm really good and I'll walk away from a sermon and, and I'll say right away to the staff or to Janie, oh man, we're going to get a lot of heat for this one. And we, I got a lot of heat from last Sunday. And again, it was good heat. Uh, it, there was nothing negative. I mean, everybody was very, uh, it was friendly fire. Um, but it, it was just, I did get a lot of pushback. I wasn't expecting it. Um, at all. But, you know, at this time of year, it, rarely anything gets me down. Because you know what? When the going gets tough, I just go hunting. <laughs> Deer season opened on Wednesday, so I'm, uh, anytime it just gets really kind of uh, rough, I just uh, grab my bow and head for the tree stand. So I told Janie on Friday, it was the first time I got to go, and I said, man, it feels like Christmas today. And it was really, really windy and cold out, and she said, you are nuts going out in this. So I got out there and I kind of started thinking about my comment that this was like Christmas. And I started singing and thinking about all of the Christmas carols as I was sitting out there. So it was great. I loved it. It was absolutely fun. But you got to get out of bed, though, to do, to do the deer hunting, right? Yeah. Yeah. TJ. Okay. Uh, so first dot. I'm just going to give you the three dots, then I'm going to connect them. Okay. First dot in the beginning. Second dot, in the end, the third dot, in the meantime. And I will contend that hope is maintained not by looking around, but by looking to the beginning, to the end, and to the meantime. Now, just hang with me here. So, number one, first dot, in the beginning, sin entered into the world. Romans 8.18, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. Just follow along with me on the screen there. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now here's a guy, the Apostle Paul, he was no stranger to pain and suffering. Now if you know anything about Paul's ministry, you know that Paul was beaten. I mean, he had been lashed um, stoned, left for dead, abandoned, shipwrecked, lost his career, his family. He's pretty much lost everything. So here's a guy who kind of knows something about what he's talking about here. Verse 19, he said, the creation waits in eager anticipation or expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will, Adam, of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what he already has. In the beginning, sin entered into the world. 
Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Why is there fighting in this world? Why is there war? Why is there disease? Why is there uh, persecution, pollution? Why is there frustration in this world? Why is there failure in this world? The answer is sin. When Adam fell, the scripture says the entire creation was plunged into chaos from which it will never recover apart from the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of sin, this world is broken. And when sin entered into the world, it affected mankind, it affected the animal kingdom, it affected vegetation, it affected the environment. The entire world was drastically and negatively affected. I mean, do you know why your back aches this morning, especially if you're over 40? It's from our bondage to decay. Your body is decaying. From dust you have come to dust you shall go. It is part of the penalty of sin in our world. The whole world is decaying. Once sin entered into the world, everything in the world became entrapped to bondage to decay. It's why some of you color your hair. It's denying what is obvious. You're decaying. It's why some of you have new body parts. I know all the ladies are looking around trying to see if anybody knows it's them. (laughs) Some of you have new body parts because the old ones have given out. Some of the pain and the suffering in your lives is simply because you and I are in bondage to decay. It's fallout from sin. So oftentimes when we question, why did this happen? Why did that happen in life? Because we were born into a broken, sinful world and we are in bondage to decay. So some of the pain and the suffering you're going through in your life isn't because of anything overtly or sinful or evil or bad that you've done. You simply live in a broken, sinful world. Several years ago, many of you know, Janie and I lost a baby in the second trimester. We had lost one up to that point, but it had been very, very early on in the pregnancy. This one was much further along in the, in the pregnancy. And I just remember, again, that the time we found out that the baby had died. I mean, we immediately just kind of began going back, looking at things we may or may not uh, have done that might have caused it. You know, Janie had been in a hot tub early on in the pregnancy, so, you know, we kind of wondered if that had something to do with it. Did we do something wrong? I mean, we've had these pregnancies up to this point. You know, uh, we did have one earlier, but, you know, once we kind of felt like we got beyond that first trimester, we're safe, it's good. The percentage rates just dropped dramatically after that and so we're kind of sitting here wrestling with why now and I remember when we met with the doctor and he said there's nothing you could have done and there's nothing that you could have done or should have done to prevent this he said one in four pregnancies result in a miscarriage and he said there's no medical explanation for this so instead of kind of looking at ourselves or it's something we did or we didn't do. We just took the doctor's advice and we just said, this is one of those things. 
This is again part of living in a broken, sinful world. And you know, we just kind of began to become very, very happy and thankful um, for the six healthy pregnancies and kids uh, that we have. So again, my telling you that is, there just are things that are gonna happen in life that are simply the result of sin being present in our world. What happened to you, your child, to your health, or your career may be the manifestation of something much bigger that's going on. So when sin entered the world and, and, and decay comes with it, we entered into that bondage to decay. And then the whole world has been groaning under that burden ever since. Again, it's simply why some things just work out the way they do. It's why things go wrong. It's why there's pain and suffering. When sin entered the world, death reigned. There's a bondage to decay, and there is a tension, and there is just this downward spiral that none of us in this world are exempt from. Once you're born into this world, you are born into a broken world where at times unexplainable pain and suffering happens. First dot, in the beginning, sin entered into the world. Second dot, in the end, sin will be removed. Romans 8.19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. We wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. On the Capitol Dome in Washington, D.C., you'll find the following inscription. One God, one law, one element, and one supreme event toward which the whole creation moves. Now, what is that event being referenced there? The inscription doesn't tell us. It kind of leaves it to our own imagination. Is it the destruction of the world? Is it the establishing of a worldwide order? Is it the beginning of a utopian state? I don't think so. I think the one event toward which this entire creation is moving toward is the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I think it's talking about and referencing. This world again has been ruined by sin, death, and decay, and one day will be completely restored by the Savior, and sin will no longer reign, and we will no longer be in that bondage to death and decay. When Adam fell, sin entered in and death followed and it became a groaning, moaning creation. But one day, the Bible says, it is going to be restored to a glorious creation, free of sin, of death, of decay, free of pain and suffering, no more disease. This world is longing. We are eagerly anticipating. We are expecting a day when once again it will be the world the way God originally intended for it to be. In fact, this physical world, the scripture says, it can hardly 
wait for the coming of Jesus. The word eagerly expects, there in the Greek, it is a very, very vivid word. And it literally means watching with kind of tiptoes, outstretched head. We are eagerly looking for it. Why is the world so eager for the Lord to return? Because it's going to be restored. The animal kingdom is going to be restored. Isaiah 11:6 says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. It's coming. And we eagerly await and expect that day. The mineral world is gonna be restored. Isaiah 35, one says, even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with roses. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. The whole earth, Isaiah's painting a picture there, the whole earth, it's gonna be restored and redeemed one day. There is coming a time through the glorious return and reign of Jesus Christ when the whole world is going to be restored and returned to its pristine purity. Again, as I said, I was thinking about Christmas carols this week. Remember the song Isaac Watts wrote that we sing at Christmas called Joy to the World. We're all very familiar with that first stanza, Joy to the World, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. But we often don't sing the next stanza of that song that goes like this. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now when Isaac Watts wrote that second stanza, he was not thinking of the first coming of Jesus Christ. He was thinking of the second coming of Jesus when he will establish that glorious kingdom free from the effects of sin, the decay of bondage, or the bondage to decay, pain and suffering, and the world will once again be restored and returned back to what it was originally intended to be. And our mortal bodies, our physical bodies right now, which are subjected to death and decay, one day we will be fully, completely redeemed and we will be beyond the effects of sin, death, decay. So in the beginning, sin entered into the world. In the end, sin will be removed. In the meantime, God is with us. Woo! In the beginning, sin entered into the world. In the end, sin will be removed. But between the beginning and the end, God is with us with us. Romans 6 or 8.26 says in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know 
what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and those he predestined He also called those he called, he also justified, which simply means he just gives us right standing with God. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. In the meantime, in the midst of this broken, sinful, decaying world, God is with us. God helps us in our weakness. So what does that mean? Well, I think that means when you feel weak, you should say, this is normal because the world is broken because of sin and God is here to help me get through it. When you're struggling, it's okay to say, you know what, this is normal. I live in a broken world, but thanks be to God, he has not abandoned me as an orphan. He is with me and he will be victorious for me on my behalf and I'm gonna get through this. When you're not doing very well, it's okay to say this is normal because my body, my physical body is in bondage to decay and God and my beautician and this box of coloring is here to help me get through it. Just kind of trying to pull some of you back in here. When you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, it's okay to say, you know what, this is normal. We live in a broken, sinful world, but God is here, and he's committed to never leave me, to never forsake me, and he's gonna get me through this, victorious. Every one of us in this room, you're gonna have days that are gonna be challenging. Some days are gonna be great. Some days are gonna be rough. Some parts of life are just gonna be difficult and challenging, but don't make the mistake. And this is oftentimes where that deception comes in. And we wanna just begin to look within ourselves or look around us and we wanna say, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Maybe if I had been a better person, a better spouse, a better parent, maybe this wouldn't be happening to me. And oftentimes, again, what you're experiencing and what you're struggling with, sometimes we're just living in a judged, sinful, decaying world. Some of the pain and the suffering and the trials and the tribulations we experience in life, it's just evidence, a reminder, a friendly tap on the shoulder, There is sin in the world, and it's real, and it has consequences. It affects us. And the only way to make sense of it is by taking your eyes off of yourself, off of your own little world, and just look up in God's direction and just connect those three dots. In the beginning, sin entered into the world. In the end, sin is going to be removed. But in the meantime, God is with me.
oftentimes, I just think that is really, for me, one of the focal points of communion. Jesus, when he met with his disciples, he, he took that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And he said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. In other words, remember me. Focus on me. Don't forget about who I am. And what I'm here to do. He took the cup and he lifted that up and he gave thanks to God. And he says, drink from this, all of you, for this is a new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. In other words, every time we fail, every time we fall, every time we sin, we have an agreement with the Father that if we'll just confess that as sin, that he is faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us. How does he do that? Through the blood of Christ. Every time we do this, we do it remembering that God is with us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even until the end of the age, he said, I will always be with you. And I'll tell you what, there's, there's a time where that truth becomes most precious to us. And it's at those times when, when we're kind of tempted to feel like maybe because of what we're going through that God is punishing us. God has abandoned us. Communion, again, is that reminder of God saying, no matter how bad it gets, whether you're the author of that or somebody else is the author of that, no matter what is going on in your world, I'm never gonna abandon you. I'm never gonna leave you. And so communion this morning is my invitation to you, especially for those of you this morning that may be in the midst of some real pain and suffering. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're really beginning to question God. There are things going on in your world, and this morning you're just so locked into your world and the things that are going on around you. And maybe this morning is kind of just that moment, that time where you just need to look in God's direction and say, you know what, in the beginning sin entered in. In the end, sin will be removed. But God, in the meantime, I know right now, I may not feel it, I may not see a whole lot of evidence of that, but God, I know in the meantime, you are with me. And your body and your blood are a reminder of that. And I choose to remember you are with me. And for those of us, maybe as we kind of get into the week, maybe we're gonna confront some things. And again, we're just gonna need that reminder that God is with you. You're not alone. He hasn't abandoned you, and he never will. And so this morning is just a real time to just come back in to that connection with his presence, his ever-active, ever-ongoing, faithful presence in your life and over your circumstances this morning. So I'm going to invite the worship team up this morning. We're just going to close with a time of worship. Then we're going to... Uh, have communion this morning, and again, it's just an opportunity for us to be reminded of God's presence with us this morning. So as we kind of just enter into worship, uh, the ushers will kind of begin to dismiss you, and we'll kind of just come up. If you're new here this morning, again, we partake by what we call intinction, so the uh, server will have uh, some bread. If you'll just hold out your hands like this, they will take a piece of bread. They'll place it in your hand. You can take that and dip that in the, in the cup, the juice. We partake by what we call intinction. Uh, here again, everyone who is a believer uh, has a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. You are invited. This is a time, again, of celebration, a time of being reminded that God is with us. Amen?
Let's, let's stand together this morning.